0: Hello and welcome to Holmes, Borden, and the Watson Papers. This is your host, Chris Dilworth. Thanks for joining me. Let's pick up where we left off. Emma is in the middle of an interview with Sherlock. They take a break. At that point, Mr. Blunt, the Consul General for the British government for the New England area, he has to go back to Boston. He has business the next day. This is a Thursday afternoon, heading into Thursday evening. So he walks down to the station and heads back. They resume the conversation after a few minutes. And one of the things that Sherlock wants to know from Emma is, who was that boy she met with? What can she tell Holmes about the kid? Does she know the name? Does she know the kid's connection to Moriarty? We aren't clear from Watson's notes how Emma gets the information that she provides with regard to this kid. It probably came from Lizzie, but we're not sure. At any rate, she says, this boy has a mother. The mother works for Moriarty. The mother had worked for Moriarty in the past. Moriarty has paid for the mother and her son to come to America. They've been in America for a while, probably about a year. The mother doesn't have a husband or a partner. The boy's father is not in the picture. It's just the two of them. The mother has run errands for Moriarty, in addition to her work as a servant, which would include cooking and probably some housekeeping she runs errands for him occasionally. She has the boy run errands for him as well. Emma assumes that the mother and the son are 100% loyal to Moriarty. She's not aware of anyone else who might be working for Moriarty. She can't say one way or the other. How much has Lizzie involved Emma in the case, especially since the murders happened? Emma says that Lizzie has tried to keep her out of the case as much as possible, And the only thing that Lizzie has really asked her to do in the last six weeks is on two occasions to bring money to New Bedford and wait at the park. The kid shows up, he takes the money, and he leaves. In both cases, she said it was $200 or somewhere in that vicinity. So she's made two payments, each around $200 in cash. Other than that, she said, Lizzie doesn't ask me to do anything. Holmes wants to know how Lizzie has been communicating with Moriarty since she's been arrested because there's clearly been some kind of contact. Emma says she doesn't know. Lizzie hasn't told her. She hasn't asked. She assumes that someone comes in and tells Lizzie whatever Moriarty wants her to know, that there are verbal messages going back and forth. Remember that in addition to family, in addition to the ministers and the lawyers, Lizzie has friends who visit her. The jail allows her a lot of freedom in terms of her contact with other people, and she's given a lot of privacy when she meets with people. It isn't clear whether visitors were searched. I'm not assuming that they were. They might have been. It isn't 100% clear. But certainly, anybody could come in and tell Lizzie a message from Moriarty or a message from somebody else. If that doesn't need to be written down, there's no way to intercept it. And as far as whether Emma has any particular suspects as to who might be doing this, she suggests that it may be Lizzie's attorney, Melvin Adams. So remember that Lizzie hired Jennings right away. He was the local family lawyer. And then within a couple of weeks, as they head into the preliminary hearing in late August, she gets an additional second lawyer. So she always has Jennings, but within a couple of weeks, she adds somebody named Melvin Adams He had been a prosecutor, now he's in private practice, and apparently he has a reputation for being somewhat shady, that he tends to cut corners. He's the one that Tricky claims, Tricky the reporter claims, that it was Adams who was trying to buy information from the Fall River Police Department. Here comes the most important question, and that is, when did Emma last see Moriarty? Watson's writing all this down, he's trying to keep up, and when she gives the answer, his pen goes skidding across the page, because what she tells Holmes is, I saw him today, just a few hours ago. I don't know how Holmes reacted to this. I suspect that he didn't give any obvious reaction. He tended to have a pretty good poker face. For all we know, this may not have surprised him all that much. At any rate, Holmes said to her, then give me the details, I need to know everything. So, here's what Emma says. She got on the train to Taunton. It was her intention to visit Lizzie. As the train is pulling into Taunton, Emma gets up. She goes towards the door so she can exit the train. And this woman that works for Moriarty had apparently gotten on the train, had been in a carriage behind Emma's carriage. And as the train was approaching Taunton, this woman, this servant had walked up behind Emma without Emma noticing and had put a note into her hand, stood right behind her and said quietly, don't look around, walk off the train, get out of the station, go down to the street and then read the note and follow the instructions. So Emma does as she's told, reads the note and basically what it says is, walk towards the jail, Moriarty will pull up in a buggy. When he pulls up next to you, just get into the buggy. That's all there is to it. So everything goes according to plan. Emma's maybe 100 yards away from the train station. She can hear a buggy approaching from behind. It pulls up. She turns. There's Moriarty holding the reins. She gets in, and he drives off. He takes her out into the country, and when they approach a grove of trees, there's a narrow lane that goes perpendicular to the road off to the left, so it's like a lane that goes down into the trees. He turns down into that. He goes far enough so that you can't see the road anymore, the main road that they turned off of. He brings the buggy to a stop, ties up the horse, and tells Emma to walk into the woods with him. They go in maybe 50 or 100 feet, and he immediately starts to manhandle her. He lays his hands on her. He grabs her by both arms, by the wrists. Then he grabs her by the biceps. He's shaking her, and she said he was furious. He was absolutely beside himself, and he starts demanding to know who followed her to New Bedford two days before. Who was it? He's shaking her, and she can't even think straight because her head is snapping back and forth. She's trying to say, I didn't know I was followed. I know nothing about this. He pushes her down to the ground, and he stands there seething. His eyes were wild. She'd never seen him in anything close to this this state of emotion. She makes a mistake of saying, I have no idea who it was, but maybe it was this English detective I've heard about. And that sends him into an even greater rage. He's carrying some kind of riding crop in his hand, and he starts hitting her with it. She fends him off. She holds up her arm, and he hits her, and then he turns her. He grabs the arm that she's trying to use to protect herself, and he swings her around. He, He pulls her up to her feet, and he hits her several times across the back. Then she breaks away and backs up against the tree. He says to her, Holding his forefinger and thumb about a millimeter apart, he says, I'm this close to killing you. And he says that to her several times. At that point, he's de-escalated to a certain degree. He's not as clearly angry as he had been. And she said it's even scarier than it was at first, that the cold anger is more terrifying After a minute, he's looking at her and he says it wasn't this English detective because he's not stupid enough to make himself known. That was too obvious. This was done by somebody who doesn't have much experience. It was an amateur. It was a bungler, somebody that didn't think things through. And, of course, we know it was Watson who had followed her. So this all makes sense. This fits with the way that Holmes would always describe Watson. He says maybe it was somebody from the Fall River Police or it might have been a reporter or maybe even a private investigator, somebody from the Pinkerton Agency. I don't know. Then he says, if you talk to anybody, anybody besides me and your sister, I will hunt you down and I will kill you if it's the last thing I do and it won't be pleasant. It will make your stepmother's death look like a mercy killing. And he takes her back to the buggy. They get in. They drive into Taunton again. And when they're about 100 yards from the train station, he says, you're not going to visit your sister today. You're going to take the train back to Fall River. If she asks why you didn't come, you're going to tell her you didn't feel well. If you say a word to her about what happened today, if you say a word to her about what I did to you or any threats I made, I'll kill you. He stops the buggy and tells her to get out. And she walks off to the station and takes the train back. Now, I'll just say again as an aside that as Watson's hearing this, it just reinforces his discomfort at the way she's telling the story. This is not like any woman he's ever met. He's never met a woman who could go through something like this, what happened to Emma that day, let alone what she's been through the previous six weeks, and act so unemotional. And by the way, while she's telling this, She's pulling the sleeves of her dress up and showing that her forearms and biceps are covered with bruises, the kind of bruises that people would leave when they're squeezing their fingertips into somebody's muscle, somebody's flesh. And she also pulls down her dress slightly right near the the neckline to show where she's been hit, one of the blows that he struck her with that riding crop or whatever it was. She says, I can't show you any more. Modesty prevents me from doing so, but there are other bruises on my back. Now, having told Watson and Holmes all this, she says to Holmes, I don't think he'd kill me because I'm the source of his money. He needs money. It's coming from my father's estate or it comes from my bank account, one or the other. Lizzie has no control over my father's money because she's been charged with killing him. The probate court does not give her any authority to handle my father's money. I, at the present time, am completely in charge of that. I'm the one who's starting to sign the paperwork and get everything initiated in probate court and start to take some of the money for living expenses, to pay for Lizzie's attorneys, etc. If he kills me, if Moriarty kills me, or if I disappear, Moriarty knows that the probate court is going to appoint somebody independent who's not going to do anything to help him out. So in order to have a financial lifeline, he has to keep me alive, at least until and unless Lizzie is acquitted, at which point she would have access at least to her share of the estate. Sherlock says at this point what he tends to say to women who've been abused, that she has been ill-used, that her life is in danger. And then he says, we need to find this man as soon as possible. It's gotten to the point where nobody is safe. I'm not safe. My friend isn't safe. You aren't. This man is capable of committing any kind of violent act, any murder, any atrocity if he thinks it's in his interest to do so. So Sherlock asks Emma to go to Taunton the next day and visit Lizzie. And he tells her, you're going to have to be careful how you approach her. If you're too obvious and you start asking her questions about where you can find Moriarty or where she's hidden her letters, she's going to know that something's up. But at the same time, you need to pay really close attention to what she's telling you. If there's a way to get at this information using tactics or a strategy that is not overly obvious, then you need to do it. And in the meantime, regardless of what Lizzie might tell you or regardless of what you might pick up by listening to Lizzie talk, you need to be thinking about where these letters might be. You need to think hard about that. Now, I'm going to be staying here with my friend, Mr. Hazelhurst. Fortunately, Reverend Jubb has invited us to stay here. It's the safest place. It's safer than going to a hotel. We'll be here for a few days. I don't think Moriarty knows we're here. We are very careful about how we arrived. We came here from Somerset. We took a carriage over the, the bridge, over the river. So if you come here with news, if you come here in the next few days to tell me something, I don't think Moriarty will be suspicious if he knows this is where you're going because he's going to assume that you're just coming over to talk to your minister and there's nothing more to it. I also want you to know that I've asked your uncle to hire a horse and buggy for a week. I gave him some money. I've sent him off. He's going to do that for me. He's going to bring it back, the horse and buggy back here, and he's going to stable the horse and leave the buggy here at the rectory in the barn behind the house. And that way, if you come to me and you have some information and there's something we need to follow up on, we'll be able to leave immediately. We won't have to hire a horse and wait. We can get right out of here. And at this point, I think we're done. I think it's, you've been here long enough. I don't want Moriarty to wonder why you haven't come home yet, just in case he's watching your house. Reverend Jubb will bring you home. So Emma leaves with Reverend Jubb, and as a result, Watson and Sherlock are left by themselves in the house. And they've brought some clothing with them. They came down with their luggage from Boston, and they bring that upstairs to the bedroom. As Watson unpacks, Sherlock lights his pipe and paces around the room. And after a few minutes, he says to Watson, Tell me what you think. What are your impressions? What are your thoughts? As we might have expected, Watson tells him about his misgivings. He doesn't like Emma's body language. He doesn't like the fact that she shows no emotion. There are no signs of grief. There are no signs of horror, no fear. When she's telling them about Mrs. Borden's death, about Moriarty's involvement, about what Moriarty did to her that day, it's remarkably unemotional. She doesn't seem to be surprised at anything Sherlock tells her. She strikes Watson as very cold-blooded, especially when you consider that just hours before Moriarty had assaulted her and her life had been threatened. Watson ends up by saying, I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. In response, Sherlock makes the following comments. We are at a disadvantage here compared to how we're normally placed when we're doing an investigation in England. We don't have the police information. We don't have cooperation from the police. We don't have access to the crime scene. We don't have any local contacts. We've covered all that. And that definitely puts us at a disadvantage. But we still have some things we can use. We still have some information that's important. Before I go any further, Watson, what is it exactly that worries you? And the best that Watson can do is to say, I think Emma is lying. And from what she's telling us, even though we haven't met Lizzie, I wouldn't trust Lizzie any more than I trust Emma. I think they're calculating. I think they're dishonest. I think there's stuff going on here that we don't know and that they're not telling us. And it makes me really uneasy. Sherlock says, let's look at what we either know for sure or what we think is almost certainly true. We know that Lizzie and Emma care a great deal about money. We know that's a huge priority for them. They resented their stepmother and their father. Emma's physical description of this character, Robert Carter, a.k.a., Davidson, a.k.a. Moriarty, it matches perfectly with the description that I got from the officials and the employees at the shipping line. So it sounds like whoever this guy is, in fact, and we think it's Moriarty, at the very least, he's the doctor that Lizzie met when she went on this trip. We know this guy's a scoundrel. He was fired by the shipping line. That's clear. We know that Lizzie almost certainly had an accomplice. It would have been almost impossible for her to carry out these murders by herself. And if she had an accomplice... What more likely candidate is there than this doctor? He must have been the accomplice. I don't know who else it could have been. We know that the accomplice is an extremely violent and depraved person. We know that Lizzie and Emma, between them, have been giving him money. This has been going on for a while. This started apparently in Europe. It's been continuing. You saw for yourself that Emma withdrew money from the bank, took it to New Bedford, and gave it to the kid. So that's not in doubt. We also know that Lizzie is more impulsive than Emma, she's more headstrong, and that if anybody is going to fall for a dashing womanizer, somebody who knows how to flatter women, it's going to be Lizzie. Lizzie fits that type that would fall for somebody and would act on impulse. So that, even though we don't know that that's 100% true, that rings true. We also know that now that the parents are dead, Mr. and Mrs. Borden are dead, Moriarty is a complete liability, at least as far as Emma is concerned. He's a financial parasite, and we know how much Emma cares about money. He's threatened to kill her. He has the ability to get them both convicted, in theory, if he turns on them, if he tells the police what he knows. He's a threat to Lizzie's life and probably Emma's freedom. And we also know that he would probably kill them if he could get control of the money. What we don't know is how Lizzie really feels about him. And finally, the last thing we do know is that Emma has virtually no social life outside of Lizzie. Lizzie has friends. Lizzie was going to Marion to spend time with a number of friends that were roughly her age. Lizzie went off to Europe with five other women roughly her age. Lizzie has friends through her charity work at the church. Where does Emma go for two weeks when she's on vacation prior to the murders? She goes and visits some elderly woman, somebody that needs to be protected. When Lizzie asks Dr. Bowen to send the telegram telling Emma to come home, Lizzie says, word it carefully because Emma's staying with an elderly woman. This is Emma's social circle. So we know that if Lizzie is in fact in love with Moriarty or infatuated with him or for whatever reason, chooses to go off with him when this is all over, Emma will be the person who is left out. That's not what Emma wants, clearly, because Emma has not only played a parental role in Lizzie's life, she also uses Lizzie as her social and emotional lifeline. So for all those reasons, I think it's clear that Emma doesn't want Moriarty in the picture. Whether Emma and Lizzie planned this murder, whether they knew what Moriarty was going to do, whether they tricked Moriarty into thinking that Lizzie loved him, they may well have done all that. They may well have been calculating from the start. They may have said, this guy fits our needs. Lizzie will pretend she's in love with him. He'll feel secure. He'll think he's in charge. He'll commit the murders. And then at our first opportunity, we'll get rid of him. That may be true. And if that's true, then obviously Lizzie and Emma are a lot more sinister and a lot more dangerous than we had initially thought. But it doesn't change the fact that Emma must want Moriarty out of the picture. How can Moriarty help her? What reason can you give me, Watson, as to why Emma would want Moriarty to be protected, to continue to play a role in their lives? And if you can't think of a reason... I suggest that we trust her, we trust Emma to the extent that she wants us to catch Moriarty and get him and take him away. And unless you can think of a reason why that isn't true, then that is the premise that we'll go from. That's the starting point. And regardless of how much she's involved and how much she knew and how much Lizzie was involved and planned it and knew, doesn't really matter. What matters is whether Emma is on our side, has the same goal as we do, which is to get rid of this guy, catch him and take him out of the country. And if I'm correct, if Emma sees him as a problem, then how does she get rid of him? Aren't we the best option for her? She can't go to the police. She probably isn't going to be able to kill him herself or get rid of him herself. So I suspect that even though we make her nervous because she's now told us everything or she's at least implicated herself and her sister, at the same time, I think we give her some hope. We are the best hope she has to rid herself and her sister of this guy. If her sister still loves him or is infatuated with him, this has another benefit because Emma doesn't have to bear any of the blame or responsibility if Moriarty disappears. She can say... I knew nothing about this. This English detective showed up. These people from the British government tracked him down. I knew nothing about it. They caught him. They took him away. Jeez, Lizzie, I'm really sorry. Let's get you off and then let's just build lives for ourselves. Let me just talk about the poison for a second. Emma said that Lizzie said that she wasn't trying to buy poison. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I think there's a good chance that it was Lizzie that she was trying to buy poison, not to kill her father and stepmother, but thinking ahead, thinking after Moriarty does this for me, how am I going to get rid of him? What's the best way I can get rid of him? Why not slip some prussic acid into his coffee or his tea or his alcohol or his food and get rid of him that way? So that's my guess. I'm not positive. It's just my theory. But that, to me, seems like the most likely explanation as to why Lizzie may have tried to buy the poison. So this obviously leaves Watson with a lot to think about. He still feels uneasy. There's still something nagging at him. Something doesn't seem right. But he can't refute everything Sherlock said. On its face, what Sherlock says does carry a lot of weight. It is persuasive. So intellectually, it's persuasive. But emotionally, there's something that doesn't feel right. And we'll find out whether that changes in the next couple of episodes. We're getting very close to the end. I hope you join me for the next episode. I look forward to it. And until then, take care.